Hello everyone, welcome back to my channel Into the wonderful world of spirits So we are now on C And our first spirit is called Kalunga, mother of waters Congolese and Bantu is its origin Kalunga is a Congolese spirit of death and the sea The word Kalunga literally means sea but has implications in Congolese cosmology beyond salty, watery depths. Kalunga also refers to the realm of the ancestors. The realm of death in many African traditions is located beneath the sea. The ocean is associated with fertility, abundance and death. Kalunga presides over this realm. What is called the Kalunga Line is the watery frontier between the visible and invisible worlds, the threshold between realms of life and death. Kalunga, the goddess, rules that line and controls that frontier. She is among the most respected and feared deities because she transcends divisions that stimmy others, human and spirit alike. There are no barriers to Kalunga's power. At one time, she was considered a supreme deity. She remains the epitome of the protective mother, so powerful that she cannot help but be threatening even if she doesn't seek to be. She is the great mother of the sea, guardian of life and death. Kalunga made a sea change while crossing the waters from Central Africa to Brazil with the slave trade, emerging as a male spirit. In Brazil, Kalunga Grande, Big Kalunda, refers to the ocean. Kalunga Pecunia, Little Kalunga refers to the graveyard. So our element is obviously water. <laughs> what else would it be, right? She's a water spirit. So Kamunda is the next. Kamunda is origin is India. Kamunda, dread goddess, is venerated and appropriated in Hindu and Buddhist traditions. Her name derives from Kanda and Munda, the two Ashuras she slew. Kamunda, demon killer, has the power to destroy the world with one glance. She dances the dance of destruction while playing a musical instrument, whose neck is Holy Mount Meru and whose gourd is the crescent moon. Her instrument is strong with the cosmic serpent. On a more mundane level, Kamunda inflicts and heals disease. Those who venerate her receive her blessings of courage. Kamunda sponsors practitioners of witchcraft and sorcery. She bestows victory over one's enemies and success in war. Kamunda is identified with Parvati and Durga, but she is also venerated as an independent goddess in southern India. Her manifestation, well, flames shoot from Kamunda's three eyes. She has four arms. She wears a garland of skulls and is covered with snakes. She travels with an entourage of demons. Her iconography, Kamunda stands atop a corpse, a lion or an owl. She is attributed to the chalice and knife and her element is fire. Her colour is red. The next spirit is Candelina, also known as Candela. She is a lower, a mitresa. Candelina may be 
Candela's sister, wife or female alter ego. The nature of a relationship with Candelo evokes strong feelings from devotees who argue passionately about whether she is wife or sister. If they are married, then they may have two children, Candelito and Candelita, son and daughter respectively. They may all be venerated together. Candelina is a benevolent and generous lower who protects and guides her devotees. Although she has a temper, She's not as uh, spectacularly fiery as Candelo. Candelina is synchronised to the Black Madonna of Candelaria. Her colour is red. A sacred day. Well, she's honoured on the feast of Candelaria, Candlemas, on the 2nd of February. Um, offerings to her should be scarlet lipstick, red clothing, fabric and jewellery, perfume in red bottles, like Christian Dior's hypnotic poison. Oh, I have that. Quite nice. Red wine, red soda, hibiscus tea. Florida water, dark rum, to a glass of dark beer, and then offer it to her. Don't drink it yourself. Florida water is eau de cologne and not for human consumption. So the best way to invoke her is actually basically use Florida water, mix it with dark rum and dark beer altogether. That's her favourite, something that we can't consume, by the way. So it only seems fair that <clears throat> we do Candelo. Uh, no, no, actually, its other name is Papa Candelo, because a lot of lowers that are male do have the Papa name in front of them. Obviously a lower, and the feast for Candelo is the 4th of November. Candelo is an extremely popular Dominican lower, originating on the island of Hispaniola compromised in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. He is now well known throughout the Spanish Caribbean and the United States. Once upon a time, Candela may have been an enslaved African forced to labour on a sugar plantation. He was a font of knowledge regarding African religious, spiritual, mystic traditions. Others came to consult him and benefit from his expertise. Candela also made and sold potent firewater, another reason people flocked to him. Candelo, now a powerful spirit, no longer enslaved, roams Dominican streets at night, playing dice and cards, and attending cockfights. <clears throat> so he's about, more or less, all the time. Candela is an old, wise miracle worker, who may theoretically be petitioned for anything, but his specialities involved improved luck, business and finances. Is invoked to ward off or alleviate poverty. Candelo is a classist who strongly prefers the rituals be performed carefully and correctly. He has a temper. He's not a spirit for the dabbler or the inexperienced. Although frequently described as a severe spirit, Candelo has a lively side too. He loves dancing. He likes the ladies. <laughs> because Candelo essentially is fire, it's crucial to be extra cautious with fire safety when honouring or invoking him. As he, had a ten he has a tendency to announce his presence with conflagrations. His friend and compatriot, Billy Belkan, is synchronised to Michael Archangel. Michael offers protection from fire, and so Billy exerts a balancing effect on Candelo. They are frequently venerated together. Don't be careless with candles or flaming alcohol offerings anyway, just be very careful. 
Candela protects women and children. He's a patron of cockfighters and those born under fire signs. So he's attributed to a machete. His element's obviously fire and his bird is rooster. His colour is red and his plants are basil and rue. His offerings, well, candle is intensely fiery. Offerings of alcohol like rum or Florida water are traditionally set alight. He likes tobacco products such as cigars or cigarettes. Light them for him when presenting yourself. <clears throat> so, he's one that you need to be very careful of because when all said and done, it can be quite dangerous, you know? So, he's not one that you need to mess with if you are not well up on your uh, working with spirits. And definitely should take care. The next is Corner. Origin is Italy. Feast, 1st of June. Karna is the flesh goddess, the carnal queen. She is the goddess who controls the functioning of the body, including the ability to obtain nourishment from food and the pleasures of the flesh. Although Karna has dominion over the entire corporal form, she is particularly associated with the inner organs, especially the heart, liver and lungs. Invoke her assistance with any health issues. She is also petitioned to strengthen health and body in general, especially in terms of the digestive system. Karna may be invoked to help those suffering from eating disorders, obtain nourishment and establish a healthy relationship with food. According to one myth, Janos was so taken with the carnal goddess that he transformed her into Cardia, goddess of hinges, the better to keep her always near. Rituals. So Roman traditionally ate hot bacon and beans cooked with farro, Emma wheat on Karna's feast day. Karna had a grove beside the Tiber River. Her offering, she was traditionally offered flour ground from fava beans. So not too hard to give her offerings then and conjure her up. But like I say, always be careful when we are, you know, invoking spirits regardless. Because let's be honest, <clears throat> best be careful with them, right? <laughs> The next is Serenunus, the horned one, also known as Keranunus. Serenunus is a Latin name given to this mysterious Celtic deity. Serenunus or Keranunus is usually translated, translated as the horned one. It derives from an Indo-European root word, ker, meaning growth, or to become large and hard. It may be a name or it may be a title. The word appears on an altar found at Notre Dame together with his image. Keranunus image appears throughout Celtic Europe from Ireland to Romania. The oldest surviving image is from the 4th century BCE Italian Alps, which were then Celtic. He remains beloved in the neo-pagan community, where he may be associated with the green man. Keranunus has dominion over nature, animals and abundance. He dispenses and distributes wealth. He is a lord of souls, the Celtic lord of the underworld, the dead, healing and wealth. Keranunus has a man's body and sports stag's horns, although this may be shamanic ritual garb. Sometimes his legs are snakes. Never heard that his legs have been snakes before. Not how I've seen him ever, but that's interesting. Over 30 surviving depictions exist. He's sometimes triple-headed or triple-faced and may be accompanied by a female consort. His attributes are a sack filled with treasure, talk, a Celtic emblem of power and nobility. 
is animals of a ram, horned snakes and regular snakes, bull, boar and stag. Generally, to meet with him, you need to go to the woods. Best place to meet with him, just saying. So it's only fair that we move on to Keridwin. Why not? The white is so the old one. She's Welsh. Keridwin is a shape-shifting lunar deity, witch, herbalist, and keeper of the cauldron of knowledge, inspiration, and transformation. Keridwin's most famous myth is preserved in the Book of Taliesin, a 13th-century manuscript named for the 6th-century Welsh poet. He is the focus of the myth. Keridwin's main significance in the context of that myth is as the vehicle of his transformation. However, it is the document from which most modern knowledge of Keridwin derives. In this myth, Keridwin is married to a giant, by whom she has two children. It is theorised that these children are the Celtic equivalent of the oppositional yin-yang forces. Keridwin, who gave birth to them, contains and has access to all these powers. Keridwin is a good mother. She wishes the best for her children. She doesn't worry about her daughter, but fears that her son lacks sufficient gifts for success. Decides to brew a potion for him to compensate. Once tasted, this potion bestows all magical knowledge, knowledge and everything, as well as like auricular shamanic powers. Only Keridwin knows the formula. It takes a tremendous variety of botanicals, which must be ritually gathered and then added at just the right moment. In addition, someone must continually stir the brew, which must be kept steadily boiling for a year and a day. Keridwin finds the poor ignorant child to watch the pot, which is where Guion, the future Taliesin, enters the story. He awakens her rage. She pursues him with murderous intent. He finally finds safety by becoming her child. Keridwin is utterly ultimately unable to harm her own children. Keridwin's name is interpreted as white soul. She's a master of transformation. There's no magical skill or botanical secret she does not know. However, secrets may be reserved for those she considers her children or initiates. Keridwin can take any form. The big question is not what form she will take, but whether or not you will be able to recognise her. She's an occult master. Every encounter with her may be considered a test of knowledge and psychic ability. A colour is white, and her animal is pig. <laughs> yeah, Keridwin's really um, quite beautiful. The next is Chan Lady, Lady of Birth. Jisung Niang Niang is also a other name, obviously China. Lady Shan, Divine Midwife, rules the birth process. She protects pregnant women and babies and oversees labour. In a most famous legend, a Sung Dynasty official's daughter-in-law suffered a puzzling and never-ending pregnancy. The young woman had been pregnant for 17 months when a woman mysteriously appeared at the door, announcing that she was the midwife. She had not been summoned, she'd just appeared out of the blue, identifying herself as Mrs Chan from Fu Chao. She immediately took charge, demanding a special birthing room for this special pregnancy. As per her directions, a large hole was dug in the room and filled with sharp stakes. The pregnant woman was placed above it, and with the midwife's help delivered a white snake, which was trapped inside the hole. The family, impressed and relieved, sought to pay the midwife lavishly, but she refused all money and gifts, 
asking for and accepting only one white handkerchief. She blessed the young woman and departed. Although things returned to normal for the family, they always remembered this strange experience and thought of the midwife fondly. When the official visited Fu Chao, he decided to look up Mrs. Chan and offer further thanks. Although he searched high and low, she could not be found, nor had anyone heard of her. Finally, someone recommended that he try the local birth goddess shrine, as that was where all the local midwives went to pay. Absence. When she... When the official approached the shrine's votive statue, he saw, attached to it, the handkerchief given Mrs. Chan. He took a good look at the statue and recognised her as his midwife. Well, it's obviously his wife's midwife, whatever. Lady Chan is venerated almost exclusively by women. She's a matron saint on midwives and pregnant women. So she does have a shrine as well, of course, um, in Fu Chao. Now, um, it would be Fujian province in China. She likes candles, incense, and handkerchiefs as offerings. I like that. She likes handkerchiefs. I mean, it's quite simple, right? It's not um, something that we couldn't offer her. So that's kind of nice. It makes it makes a change. Shantiko, an Aztec. Shantiko is the Aztec goddess of fire and earth. As an earth goddess, she was venerated in the home as well as in temples. She is a guardian spirit who protects whatever is valuable and precious. In 1519, after the arrival of the conquistadors and the accompanying missionaries, Shantiko's primary votive image was secretly buried to keep it safe. Shantiko is associated with health, fertility, wealth and abundance. She manifests as a woman and as fire. She attributes to cactus spines and her animal is the red snake. <laughs> a plant is actually the chocolate. The abroma cacao. Offerings ideally a light hearth fire, if not possible, like candles or maintain a fire in an iron cauldron. Cacao beans, money sauce. Shantico drinks Mexican style hot chocolate. Starbucks named a deluxe chocolate drink after this goddess. Serve her something comparable. So that's, you can even go to Starbucks and get her a drink, guys. That's pretty impressive. You can't do that for a lot of them, can you? <laughs> Mademoiselle Charlotte. <laughs> hey, she, a lower. Mademoiselle Charlotte is a lower of European origin. She speaks only French, not Creole. Those whom she ritually possesses may discover themselves suddenly fluent in the most stylish French, even if they can't speak a word. It's like a possession that she takes over, you know. To some extent, Mademoiselle Charlotte is a stereotypical, rich, upscale, white woman, and not her best traits either. She's fushy, fussy, impatient, and a stickler for etiquette, and what she considers appropriate behaviour. She adores fine manners and Paris style, and visibly turns up her nose at what she considers uncouth. Mademoiselle Charlotte rarely manifests during ceremonies, perhaps because she's a snob. People are, well, she's aware she's not loved nor entirely welcome as well, so she's a capricious lower, somewhat lazy, not overly hard-working even on behalf of those she favours, Mademoiselle Charlotte's assistance must be coaxed out of her. 
If and when she gives it, she can be very effective and helpful, but the Mademoiselle Charlotte will only help those who appeal to her, and only for as long as they appeal to her. Did we mention that her attention span is extremely limited? She is served in similar fashion to Zilai Frida de Holme, and if you are very chic or stylish, she may desire you as a pet, the equivalent of a human poodle. If you are persuasive and persistent, <clears throat> she may even do some large favours for you. Her colours of pink and cream are offerings French cosmetics, French perfume, elegant and expensive French scarves, delicate, refined, expensive foods, French, soft, sweet drinks, pink champagne, rum liqueurs, cream-coloured beverages, cream-filled pastries, French or luxury cigarettes, serve all beverages, whatever they are, in a champagne flute. <clears throat> Offer food only on fine china, or she will not accept it. So she's a very expensive goddess, nonetheless. Um, something that you'd need to really prepare for, let's be fair. The next spirit is Sharon. Sharon is a Truscan, a spirit of death. He's not the ferryman of classical Greek mythology, but a psychopomp, a spirit who comes to collect souls and escort them to the afterlife. Some psychopomps wait until the person has died. They are purely escorts. Others actually deliver the coup de grace. Sharon's attributes are potentially instruments of violence, and so we can summarise that he takes an active role in the death process. He resembles modern charos very much. He may appear as an old man with a beard, but he sometimes does appear youthful. Sharon has a hooked nose, snake-like hair, the ears of a wolf. His skin is greenish or greyish in hue. Sometimes he has wings. Sharon appears frequently on Barza's urns. He is usually depicted with a door to the netherworld behind him. He is attributed to the axe, mallet and sword. Probably not a spirit you want to work with, okay? This brings us to our next spirit, and though it absolutely is a C, it begins with a C, Divine Woman. C. Wa Teteo. Origin is Mexican. The C. Wa Teteo are Aztec female warrior spirits, souls of women who died in childbirth, considered the equivalent of dying valiantly in battle. The Aztec afterlife was fairly dismal for most dead souls, but the C. Watateo, were given the glorious role of escorting the sun on its downward passage through the sky. When not busy with celestial chores, they haunt crossroads, where they are accused of stealing children, seducing and harming global men, and causing sieges and madness. Aztec stone sculptures portray them as kneeling women with skeletal faces and tamoned hands. Ugh. They do have shrines placed at crossroads, of course. <laughs> the next spirit is Kleena, from the Tuatha de Deanon classification island, spelt C-L-I-O-D-N-A. Kleena, goddess of love, beauty, healing and death, presides of the afterlife paradise, where age, death and pain, illness and decay do not exist, only beauty. Just fragments of a mist survive. 
Presumably once upon a time, there were more. Mananan, king of the sea, fell in love with Kleena, and sent a magical wave to sweep her into the undersea palace. She's a shapeshifter, allegedly incarnate in every ninth wave, and breaks on island shores. Kleena is now identified as Queen of Fairies. As a goddess, she lived in a beautiful, lavish underwater palace in Loch Dierg. As a fairy queen, she lives in the barony of Mallow, County Cork. She reputedly lures human lovers into fairyland, from which they never again emerge. Perhaps because they're living happily ever after. Let's assume that. Kleena is a beautiful woman accompanied by her trio of songbirds. Kleena's three vividly plumed magical songbirds eat the apples of the other world. Their voices are so sweet they lull ailing people to sleep. When they awaken they are healed. One bird is blue with a red head, one is red with a green head, and the third is a speckled bird with a golden head. Her numbers are three and nine. Now you see how fairy and spirit are one and the same, just as goddess and fairy are one and the same, like goddess and spirit, one and the same, right? And our next spirit is Coventina. Celtic Britain, the classification is a mermaid. Coventina is a water spirit. River, obviously, Northumberland, once a Roman settlement of Procolithia. She heals illness, restores fertility, and was venerated by colonising Romans, as well as Celts. The Romans identified her with Minerva. A temple surrounded a pool, fed by a sacred spring, although now a only known shrine, she was not local goddess, but was also venerated in northwestern Spain and in Narbonne in southern Gaul. She was not an insignificant deity, no little mermaid, let's say. The language used by Romans indicates that they considered her to have the rank of a state deity. Her spring and well were enclosed in approximately 130 CE. The shrine was very popular in the late 2nd and 3rd century. In 391 CE, the Theodosian Edict abolished paganism and ordered the closing of pagan temples and shrines. Evidence indicates that devotees attempted to hide Coventina's shrine by placing building stones over the well. She is attributed to the water lily or water lily leaf. Coventina's shrine was at Hadrian's wall. Among the offerings recovered from her shrine are terracotta ex votus in the form of parts of the body, as many as 16,000 coins, and a bronze incense burner inscribed with Coventina's name, jewellery and pins, usually indicating petitions for safe childbirth. Oh, bless her. Nice goddess. The next are the Simbi spirits, and that is C-Y-M-B-E-E. Simbi survived the Middle Passage from Africa and arrived in South Carolina's low country, where the family of water spirits promptly slipped into some water and made themselves at home. In the 19th century, before or after the abolition of slavery, obviously, well, folklorists, geologists and land surveyors began recording Simbi stories. Interviews were conducted orally. Interviewers spelled the word as it made sense to them, C-Y-M-B-E-E. Simbis are Simbi spirits. 
but the spelling is now used to distinguish South Carolina manifestations. These written reports tend to emphasize local people were frightened of the Simbis, but it's crucial to keep this in context. Simbis were secret, sacred law. It was not considered wise or beneficial to discuss them too openly. Simbi spirits are sensitive to what they perceive as disrespect. Some of the earliest recorded stories were told as warnings to men sent to brick off a spring or otherwise trouble the waters. These stories were recorded and fascinated other white men who began collecting them, often emphasising that they perceived as the ignorant superstition nature of these sources. Each spring or small body of fresh water has its own simbi, which has its own unique appearance, size and habits. Individual simbis have names, some wonderfully evocate like the great desire of the unrotting waters. Plank bridges placed over the water serve the simbis as seats. Whether in America or Africa, simbis are guardians of water. The middle passage and the conditions awaiting in South Carolina did not improve the simbis' tempers. They are fairly volatile spirits. Any disturbance of the spring or disrespect towards it angers them. They show their displeasure via water phenomena. Waters are described as roiling or churning. They also have the power to raise storms. They demonstrate anger by removing water, springs drying up, are interpreted as a departure or disapproval of the simbi. If you have a spring or freshwater pond, then you may have a simbi, even if it has been lying low. Alternatively, if you seek one, you can invite one. In addition to guarding the water, a simbi may serve as a personal or family guardian. They bring prosperity, good fortune and abundance, including fertility in their wake. Sit quietly near the water, not necessarily too near, and see whether the simbi will reveal itself. Simbis are proportionate in size to the water source they inhabit, and are described as vaguely human in appearance. Some have webbed feet, or a full-blown mermaids, complete with fish tail. Always consider their water precious and sacred, treating it respectfully. Small gifts, shiny trinkets, libations, traditional offerings for mermaids, are well appreciated by the Simbis. And that brings us to an end of the spirits that we will do in the letter C. That's why it's longer. I'm trying to compact it, make it a little bit longer, but probably do less. Otherwise, we're going to be here for a very long time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I truly appreciate it. Hit that like. Share if you can. And if you've not yet subscribed, please consider doing so. Many blessings.